eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And just like that, we're back. It's Thursday morning. It is August 19th, year of our Lord, 2021. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Tuesdays and Thursdays are made for mailbag. It's wall-to-wall. It's Q&A. You can get those submissions in. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. On Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. I want to thank you guys for giving me all the feedback you give me. A lot of times in our business, companies pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for what are called focus groups, which is when they would gather a lot of you up and do what you do in my inbox every day. The only difference is they'd have to pay you to do it. A couple of areas I just wanted to remember to thank you for. The first is just that we've gotten a lot of really good feedback. I always do, but it's ramped up a little bit as our audience has come back to the watering hole, so to speak. But the second one, there are a lot of times where someone hops on Twitter or Instagram, wherever, and They'll say, hey, I'm looking for new podcasts. Can you mention one? And you guys are on those things like a hawk. You pounce. And several of you tag me in it, and I see it. So I always thank you guys for that. I give you the shaky hands emoji. That helps. You don't understand how much that helps. That is how a show gets found. If you don't have a big marketing budget, one of the blessings that we have around here is we get left alone. When I came to 24-7, I negotiated my deal, and I negotiated my last one, which I really haven't even told anyone about. I wanted creative control. I wanted executive production status of Late Kick, and they acquiesced to every request. They gave it to me. The exchange is we get left alone, and we're off in our own little bubble over here, which is wonderful, but when you're off in your own little bubble, a lot of times you don't get the full rocket booster of the company attached to your apparatus. Now, we're fine with that. I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is you guys supplement that. So instead of going to management and begging and begging and begging for months for money to be carved out in the budget to market the show, do you understand how valuable it is when your audience does that for you? You guys do that for us to where we don't even have to worry about that? That's the kind of stuff that normally keeps a brand from getting off the ground. And we never even have had to worry about it because you guys have taken care of it. We have not spent a dime to market the show. We have not spent a dime to promote it. We have not paid to boost tweets or Instagram posts or Facebook posts or anything like that. You guys have done all that. This show, that YouTube channel in general that we broadcast Late Kick Live on, it didn't exist last March. Flat out didn't exist. So that's how much we're still kind of in our infancy around here. One other thing that I would really love to be able to show you, I would not betray confidence in anyone, but if I could make it public, I would so love to open up my DMs and open up my email inbox and open the eye, Josh, because some of these come in via text message. If you guys could know, who all's watching and listening to this show right along with you, I think it would put your jaw on the ground. 
So we have a very eclectic group of folks, a wide-ranging group of folks. Some of the names you would recognize very, very quickly, but no matter what your job title, where you live, your salary, the one thing we all have in common on this particular show is we like college football delivered a certain way. We like to discuss it with each other a certain way. Uh, There is a lot that we want filtered out of our college football discussion that too many times has polluted the well elsewhere. I understand it, guys. That's why I got into the business, because I was fed up with what existed elsewhere. And what I grew up listening to didn't exist anymore, at least according to my perspective. So I took it upon myself to start doing it myself, to offer what I thought was absent in the market. And enough of you have responded to where I think it validates the direction we're going. So we're going to keep it going that way. And we're going to put our foot down on the gas a little bit more. Probably next week, you're going to start seeing and hearing some major changes. Nothing changing about the brand of the show. We're just getting a little more of that R word, that resource. We're getting a little bit more to work with. So with that in mind, let's dive into this morning's mailbag. I had an overflow the other day. So as I said, I'm going to push it right to Thursday. Here we go. Antoine, first up. Why have coaches like Billy Napier, Matt Campbell, and Luke Fickle stayed put? What jobs might they be waiting for? For those of you unfamiliar, Matt Campbell, of course, the head coach of my Iowa State Cyclones. And then you got Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. And you got Billy Napier at Louisiana. I have spoken about this at length, but I think it bears repeating as we approach a season. The coaching landscape has changed a lot. And I was speaking to a fairly high-profile agent that represents some coaches, not these specific coaches, but some coaches recently. And we were talking about this. It's very fascinating because you would not think about this on the surface. But what happened, I keep bringing up the name Chad Morris when I mention this because the name Chad Morris got brought up to me. Chad Morris has served as a cautionary tale for a lot of coaches in similar positions. Quick, quick backstory. Chad Morris, high-profile coordinator at Clemson, He goes to SMU. He gets his shot as a head coach. He goes to SMU. Now, Chad Morris was doing some good things at SMU. Arkansas came calling. And Chad Morris looked and, like most of us would do, said, my goodness, that's an SEC head coaching job. That's going to be big money. Every SEC job is. And so he took it. Well, the problem was all SEC jobs aren't equal, but here's the real problem. The real problem was there was really no path. There was no path to compete with the Alabamas of the world, with the LSUs of the world, Texas A&M. It's just total shark-infested waters over there. And what happened was Chad Morris got there, and there was no path for him. There was no path. His best-case scenario was not going to work out. Well, it totally torpedoed his reputation as a coach. So then he goes to Auburn to try and rehabilitate his image, but it doesn't work there either. And Chad Morris is coaching high school football now. Now, we got a ton of high school coaches who listen to the podcast. I am not bemoaning at all high school coaches. What I'm saying is, if you're taking the goal of Chad Morris, and if you're taking what his ambition was, which was to be a major Power 5 college football head coach, that is off the rails right now. And a lot of folks, you can agree or disagree with this, but a lot of folks in the agent world, they think he made the mistake by leaving SMU for Arkansas. Now that sounds really crazy. And I understand why it sounds crazy because Arkansas is a better job than SMU, right? Well, to you and me, it is certainly to 99.9% of the college football public. It is. It is in a bigger conference. You get better athletes. You got way better facilities. You got better tradition. It makes more money. You're checking all these boxes, but yet an agent would sit there, whether you're Billy Napier right now, or maybe you're Matt Campbell. I think Billy Napier is the better example, the more apples to apples comparison. Billy Napier is at Louisiana. Billy Napier 
you can trust me on this, has turned down more than one SEC head coaching job not named Vanderbilt recently. He has done that. He has had it on the table. It has been his to take, and he has not pushed forward, and he has done his due diligence, but he and his representation, they have not taken it. They are choosing Louisiana for the time being over major SEC jobs. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the dynamics have changed. You make way, way, way more money at the highest levels of G5 right now than you used to make at the lower levels of Power 5. And what happens is, just like in the Power 5, in the G5, when you get to the top of it, the new perception is, if you get your program up to the level that Cincy is, or that UCF is, or right now in the Sun Belt that Louisiana is, you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to stay up there. If you're a good coach, especially, you're going to stay up there indefinitely. And what happens is you keep getting incremental pay bumps. So you may go from one and a quarter to two to two and a half to two and three quarter. And that's really good money. But what it's more importantly doing is it's buying you time indefinitely if you need it to stay there and wait for Georgia or wait for Ohio State or wait for Oklahoma because all three of those programs and these agents know it good and well when they look. All three of those programs have something in common. Clemson's another one. They all have current head coaches whose first major head coaching job was at the program they're at right now. Kirby's first head coaching job is Georgia. Lincoln's first head coaching job. Ryan Day's first head coaching job. Dabo's first head coaching job. And they're telling their clients, in this case, Billy Napier, they're telling them, hey, brother, if it were 1983, I would slap you in the face if you didn't look long and hard at leaving Louisiana Lafayette for a number of SEC programs. But the times have changed, and there is risk now. There's actual risk that some think outweigh the potential reward long-term from leaving a Louisiana to go to what is perceived as a Tier 2 or Tier 3 SEC program because they think the gap right now is so big that you're not going to be able to win You're going to lose, you're going to get embarrassed, and your reputation is going to be sullied, and it's going to hurt your ability to elevate in the coaching profession. Now, that's the fear out there, and that is the reason why a lot of these coaches are staying parked. That's a working theory. Now, we all know there could be something else in the equation. There's really no way to know this unless you could open someone up and really look inside their heart and look inside their soul. It could just be that a guy like Matt Campbell or or any of the names we just mentioned could just be he's found happiness. He is totally content where he is. He knows that maybe the outside world wouldn't view it the same as him, but that's cool because the outside world doesn't matter. It's just what I value. You can afford to be selfish. You and your family, of course, can afford to be selfish. And if you're happy where you are, one of the best pieces of advice you will ever get is don't try and get happier than happy. Don't do it. There is so far to fall and so little room to rise. When you're happy, one of the most short-sighted, ignorant things you can do is constantly be looking to move. No, no. Everyone else who's looking to move is looking to move because they're trying to get what you have, happiness. So those are a couple of working theories. I don't really think it's a one-size-fits-all at all. I think it's very much a case-by-case basis. Next question is from Gabe. What are your thoughts on Arkansas? (laughs) What can they do this year? Boy, well... We just kind of went down this road. I'll tell you this, Gabe. I got the JP poll coming out, but I'm probably not going to go as far down as Arkansas is. Uh, But that's not a slight. I think a lot of folks would lead you to believe Arkansas, if we power rated all 130-some-odd teams, they'd be down in the 60s or 70s. That's not even remotely correct. I've got Arkansas somewhere in the mid-30s. In fact, the only reason a lot of folks would discount Arkansas right now if they knew what they were talking about is just because they play one of, if not the hardest schedules in the country. So certainly, 
it is very, very much in doubt whether Arkansas can make a bowl game. It's just that hard. But that's all relative. That's why I do not believe you simply are what your record says you are in college. Because let me kick you this scenario. Keep the same conference. Let's just switch schedules. Let's keep Arkansas in the SEC. Let's have them play Georgia's schedule. They face Clemson. Arkansas would be a big dog against Clemson. UAB, they'd be favored against. South Carolina at home, they'd be favored against. At Vanderbilt, they'd be favored. Can't play themselves. At Auburn, they would be a short dog, but we saw last year it literally took Auburn and the SEC officials to take that game from Arkansas. They'd have Kentucky at home, they'd be favored in that game. Florida, they would be a dog against. Missouri at home would be close to a pick I would imagine. At Tennessee, ditto. Charleston Southern, they'd be favored against. At Georgia Tech, they'd be favored against. So I just read you an SEC schedule where Arkansas, I think, would be favored in at least six games. They would be competitive in another two that I think would be around a pick Well, all of a sudden, we're talking about you if you just win the games you're supposed to win, being in the seven to eight win range. So you see how different record changes the scenario and changes the conversation in college football? And don't even get me started on taking Arkansas and giving them Coastal Carolina schedule. Because then they're a double-digit favorite team. They're a double-digit win favorite team. I didn't change anything about the roster. It's still Sam Pittman. It's still K.J. Hill. It's still the exact same offensive line, exact same everything. Right down to the trainers and the nutrition staff. Same everything, but I changed the schedule, and all of a sudden it changes the team. Well, that leads me to believe you're not what your record says you are. So Arkansas this year, as it is, for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, sit back while I very unprofessionally flip through a magazine on not even live air, but a podcast. If you have not looked at Arkansas' schedule, here's why no one's really talking about them. They play Rice, always and forever. One of the biggest pet peeves on this show is you got to beat food when it's on your schedule. So Rice in week one. Arkansas then plays Texas. Okay, we got Georgia Southern coming in. And then there's this ridiculous stretch. They play three road games in a row that you can't tell are three road games. They go to Texas A&M, but they play them in Arlington. That means you got to get on a plane. That's a road trip in my mind. You're playing Texas A&M. Then you go to Georgia the next week. Then you go to Ole Miss the week after that. That is a back-to-back-to-back road stretch. You don't ever see that in college unless you're an FCS team looking to pick up a check. Then they have Auburn at home. Then they got Arkansas Pine Bluff before the bye. Come out of the bye. They play Mike Leach in Mississippi State. Then how about this little back-to-back road stretch? At LSU, at Alabama. Good luck, Sam Pittman. And then you get Missouri in Little Rock to end the season. Do you know how many true on-campus in Fayetteville home SEC games they have? One, two, that's it. They've got two conference games on their campus. One of them is Auburn. The other one is Mississippi State. They play Missouri and Little Rock. They play Texas A&M and Arlington. And so Arkansas fans have a big problem with that. I don't blame you. But also the difficulty of the schedule is absurd. Absolutely absurd. It's why when we get to the end of the year, there will be times, it'll be rare, but there will be times where I'll have three lost teams ranked above undefeated teams. Again, a very extreme example there. But there have been times where we'd have an undefeated team from, let's say, a lower G5 conference and would have like a three-loss team from the SEC or maybe even the Big Ten in certain years, I won't hesitate. I don't hesitate at all. I don't rank my – I don't use power ratings the same way the playoff committee uses rankings. And I would not, if I were on the committee, by the way, I would not rank for my committee submission teams the exact same way as I rank them for the JP poll, for my own power ratings. My own power ratings are strictly power ratings. That's what they are. They are Vegas-based. 
Uh, if I were doing a playoff committee poll, if I were on that committee, I do understand the balance that has to go in one hand power, the other hand merit. But I ask you this, you know, I looked at Texas A&M last year, and I know it's unfortunate that they just happen to reside in the same division as one of the best teams we've ever seen in Alabama. And I know a lot of people were very dismissive of them even having conversation of being included in the playoff. But the way I always look at that, and I think the committee got it right last year, I'm not discounting that, but the arguments against Texas A&M, I thought in many cases were invalid arguments because people were arguing against the quality of the team, but yet all you kept telling me was they couldn't hang with Alabama. Well, that's, that's great. That's true. But we're not trying to crown a top one. We're trying to crown a top four. And the fact of the matter is Notre Dame made the playoff last year. And I think you and I both know, even though I thought Notre Dame deserved to be in, I did not have a problem with it. But if I took Notre Dame and gave him Texas A&M schedule, I mean, no one thinks Notre Dame's going into Bryant-Denny Stadium and winning. Conversely, A&M may very well have been undefeated against Notre Dame's schedule. So that's the whole college football thing. I'm not proposing an expanded playoff either. I don't have a problem with people being mad at the end of the year. It's not the worst thing in the world. I'm saying all this in a very, very roundabout way to say strength of schedule is not always the way it's presented. Strength of schedule is not always properly interpreted in the sport, and therefore strength of team sometimes is not always properly interpreted. So that went 15 different directions. There's little to no chance it made sense, but I said what I said, and Mimo, I hope you heard every word. Michael Scott, The Office. Megan is up next. If the AP top five were types of weather, what would they be? I told you, Megan asked this the other night, and I wanted to give it its proper respect. I wanted to let it marinate, sizzle even a little bit. Well, we've had 48 hours. So right after the ad break, I'm dropping this answer on you, and it's sure to be a doozy. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, to recap Megan's question, if the AP Top 5 were types of weather, what would they be? Well, first, we got to pull up the AP Top 5, so here we go. Number one, shocker, uh, Alabama. Alabama's got to be the heat wave. The, the thing people in the South always say about cold weather and the reason people in the South think they're stronger-willed than people in the North is because if you're in cold weather, you can always put more layers on. But down South, like our friends in Ozark, Alabama, they would tell you they got a saying in the South uh, for breakfast, they ask you if you want it sidewalk side up. 
They want your eggs. You want it sidewalk side up. And the entire premise there is about 9 a.m. and later on, we could just go out and cook these eggs on the sidewalk because that's about how hot it gets out there. And so they would tell you, you can put more layers on up there when it's cold, but you can't take off more layers than you got on down here when it's hot. And so Alabama is the heat wave to me. Because there are things you can do when it's freezing, but man, there's only so much you can do. When it's 110 degrees, there's only so much you can do. And that's kind of the way you got to feel when you're playing Alabama. There are times where you can do everything in your power. And most coaching staffs feel this way when they play them. If Alabama shows up with their B-plus game or better, you know going in, if you're 95% of the sport, there's really nothing much you can do. Everything about your game plan to win the game is predicated on them screwing up unless you happen to be one of the very, very few elites in the college football game that could match up and could go athlete for athlete roughly with them. So I'm going to go heat wave for Alabama. Number two is Oklahoma. This is the easiest one to me, uh, tropical tornado. This is one of the most fascinating atmospheric phenomena that happens. So when a hurricane makes landfall, it is, it's really crazy to think about this, and I will nerd out. So if no one shuts me up and there's no one in here to do it, I may just go on forever. So get this, when a hurricane's out over water, like Hurricane Ivan is a very famous hurricane in the southeast. Back in 2004, it maxed out at Category 5 strength. I want to say 165, one minute sustained, out over the Gulf of Mexico. Monster. One of the most beautiful satellite images you will ever see unless you're in it, at which point it's terrifying. So here's what happens, and this is where it ties into Oklahoma, I promise. When a hurricane's out over water, it's just moving over water. That is its fuel. Warm water is its fuel. But when it hits land, a couple of things happen. Number one, it starts to weaken because it loses its fuel source. But do you know what else starts to happen? What else starts to happen is there's friction because instead of the wind rotating over water, the wind is rotating over land. Land creates friction. It literally rubs up against it. If you can picture your hand rubbing across water and then rubbing across carpet, that's about the same effect it has on a hurricane. Now you see why it slows down and why it weakens. But secondly, what happens is it creates something called wind shear. And there are all these little spin-up tornadoes because it's a perfect environment for it. So I'm coaching a baseball team one year. Hurricane Ivan is coming through Georgia. At that point, it's a tropical storm. It's coming through Georgia. And we're up there taking a team picture. I may have told this story before. It's not raining at the moment, just the system's moving through. A tornado spun up out of nowhere. We had to run down a hill. One lady lost it. I mean, she busted it and slid all the way down a hill. But it was every man and woman for him or herself at that point. Sorry, lady. So we get in the dugout, except for your boy who runs back up the hill after the tornado passes. And I just watched it tear up a bunch of fencing up at Charles Moultrie Park in Hamilton, Georgia. Shout out. And um, what does that have to do with Oklahoma? That is Oklahoma. Because the tropical system was moving through. That's strong. I mean, even a tropical storm, when it's moving through, it's strong. But the thing about Oklahoma is they've been strong. That's what they've been. But what they have the potential to be this year is they got the potential to tear stuff up. They have elements on this team within this team. Like Spencer Rattler, he's not a mystery. We know who he is already. We know he's coming, just like you know the hurricane's coming. But if you get that extra 20% or even 15%, if he spikes his game, if he ups his game, or if the Oklahoma defense is 10 to 15% more productive. Well, that's the difference in maybe exiting the playoff versus winning a championship. So I think that's what they are. I'm going to give Oklahoma tropical tornado status. The number three team was Clemson. I got to apply derecho to them. Derechos are wild. And if you're caught up in one, there's no escape. You can't go 10 miles here, 10 miles there. It's not like scattered thunderstorms in the south in the middle of the summer. A derecho is this 
this long-lived, it is a very long track. It's just a wall of storms. They're rare. They don't happen very often, but when they do, it's impressive. They'll start in Iowa. They'll go 70, 80 miles an hour. They'll finish the day off the eastern seaboard. And the point is, they'll leave incredible paths of destruction, and you'll look at the damage map, and you'll say, Wow, it doesn't matter if you were in Steubenville, Ohio, or Xenia, Ohio. You got hit. Either way, the derecho moved through, and there was nowhere to be. You remember Clemson back in 2018? Clemson in 2018, when they played Bama, that was a derecho-esque performance. Bama was helpless. When is the last time we said that, before or since? Bama was helpless, 44-18, to the only title game I ever left early. I took the media bus back to the hotel, got a head start on doing my live shots over there, packed it up, called it a day, flew back home. Bama had no shot. With those receivers catching the ball like they were, Bama had no shot. And so this year, Clemson's got all the length and size in the world. The only thing I would question about their receiver room, and I could be wrong about this too, I'm not saying they don't have it. I'm questioning whether they have the top-end speed, but they got everything else. And they certainly have the ability in any given game to really humble your defensive backfield. And any given game, whether it's a Saturday in the fall in October or whether it gets into a conference championship or the playoff or the national title game, if that version of them shows up, it's like the derecho. There's nothing you can do. I mean, unless you've got a really fast car, you can keep going the direction it is and hopefully you outrun the derecho. Otherwise, there's not much you can do. So give me the derecho for Clemson. Number four team, Ohio State. Ohio State is what we call a PDS tornado watch in the South. Now, if you're a storm chaser like me, it is nirvana. If you're a normal human being like 99% of you, it's terrifying. PDS is an acronym. It stands for Particularly Dangerous Situation. It is like 1% or 2% of total tornado warnings issued. They don't give them out lightly. When you see a PDS tornado watch issued, what they're essentially telling you is all the ingredients are in place. The parameters, STP is significant tornado parameter. That stuff is maxed out and all the ingredients are in place. But yet even then, there's no guarantee anything's going to happen. It just all has to come together at the right time. And that's Ohio State. Look at the receiver room, insanity. Look at the quarterback room, insanity. They got tailbacks out the wazoo. They've got the pieces on that team. They got the head coach. They got the staff. They got the strength staff. They got the recruiting profile. They've got the passionate fan base. All of the parameters are in place. Is it going to happen? Because that's really what you sit around and wait for. When we're chasing down south, we're just sitting around waiting. Selma, Alabama, that's a place we always use to stage. So Selma, Alabama, we'll sit in Selma and we'll just sit there and wait. And is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? You're refreshing the radar. You're keeping your eye on NWS weather chat. Is it going to happen? And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 three supercells in the span of 20 minutes just pop and it happens. And that could be Ohio State this year or any given year. Number five team is the University of Georgia. Georgia football is every summer afternoon in the South from about June through late September. And that is waking up, looking at your phone, and seeing there's a 40% chance of afternoon thunderstorms. And anyone who grows up in the South understands that means it could mean your cousin across town gets an inch and a half of rain and you get sunburned and patchy brown grass because you're in the middle of a drought. Uh, that's Georgia football. It's hit and miss. Lately, it's been, from a championship perspective, obviously far more miss than hit. But yet, you look around. If you're a gardener in the South, you look around and you know, there's no way my plants should be wilting. Because any given day, there's rain all around me. Like any given day, if you're a Georgia fan, any given season, there's talent all around you. There are winnable games all around you. You look at 2017. You've got the lead 
against Alabama in the national title game in overtime. It's right there. It's not like it's eluding you. It's not like you're barely going 500 every year. It's right there. 2012, it's right there. 2018, back in Atlanta again, it's right there. It's so close. You can see the wall. You can see the rain shaft about a half a mile away. I was driving around Nashville today, and I changed my route. I was headed over to the airport for something. Can't tell you what. And I was changing my route because even though GPS wanted me to go through downtown to get to the airport, I knew I could take 440 because I saw the rain shaft over downtown. It's that easy to navigate around the south in the summer, but that's Georgia football. They are the 40% chance of scattered afternoon thunderstorms. Now, here's the good news. The good news is you can't outrun those storms forever. Around the south, you can't. And eventually, we all know what it's like when you get caught in one of those downpours. Yeah. So is that downpour going to happen? Or maybe... Is it not a question of if, but rather a question of when? That is a segue, by the way, that I didn't know we were about to hit. So thank you, Megan, for the question. You can tell when you start stirring the mind a little bit, it could go anywhere on this pod. So I thank you for that. But what you don't know, Megan, is you segued us seamlessly into this next question, and it's from Shane. He said, in light of the breaking Georgia injury news, How often do you know things you can't report, and when do you decide whether to go public with something? So I think most of you saw this yesterday, but if you didn't, Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith, starting tight end and starting defensive back for Georgia, they are going to be out multiple weeks. I know the university, after I and many other people put that out yesterday, the university said they're day-to-day. I'm telling you they're not day-to-day, unless by day-to-day you mean they're going to wake up every day and every day and every day. They are not playing against Clemson. I would bet you money on it. And so I think it's going to be, like I said, three or four weeks. I mean, it's not my opinion. I'm getting that from very informed people. So that's the status there, and obviously that has a big impact on the Clemson game. But Shane said, how often do you know stuff you can't report? Pretty regularly, Shane. And then his next question was, when do you decide what you can report? Well, the first thing is, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a reporter. And I largely stay out of that lane. Now, there are times like yesterday, for example, where I've got some intel and the source I'm getting it from gives me the go ahead to put it out. Now, at that point, I'll put it out. But oftentimes, even when that happens, if it's not time sensitive, if I don't think anyone else is going to have the story, I'll hand it off to one of our national folks. Number one, because they are reporters and they know how to treat that kind of news. And I'll react to it once it's out there. But in this case, I knew other people were going to have it, so I just put it out, and then it kind of did what it did. But Shane, most of the time, I'm not reporting. I I, I didn't report this. Tweeting something is not reporting something. Uh, Reporting, I mean, that's a job. Being a journalist is a job. I'm not one. I don't claim to be one. Uh, The folks who do it right do something that I really don't have the capability of doing. Uh, It is very admirable. The ones who do that job right, it's very admirable. I got a lot of respect for them. You would never believe the kind of crap that some of those people take and they can't fire back. I'm not even talking about news media. I'm talking about sports media. Uh, Sometimes you got bad eggs in every basket, but there are a ton of good eggs in the sports journalism basket. I can assure you. And sometimes they'll report something and the university will know it's true, but yet they'll also know that reporter is never going to reveal his or her source to validate and definitely prove that it's true. So we're going to refute it. And all the while, knowing the fan base pulls for us, they wear our T-shirt, they wear our hat, they don't wear a hat of that reporter. They're going to believe us. They're going to take our side of the story, and they'll go trash that reporter, and the reporter cannot retaliate. 
can't retaliate. They just got to sit there and take it as this university refutes their report that they know was fact-checked, it was double and triple sourced, and the sources themselves are from inside that athletic department. Now, that's a little aggravating to watch. So I don't have the stomach for that. I would lose my job based on my reaction the first time someone did that to me. But I will say this. What I appreciate, and another layer that makes our show pretty unique, is you guys would be very surprised when I tell you you'd be surprised at who listens to the show. We have a, we have a small army of people inside athletic departments who listen to our show. Some of you are in the administrative side of things. Some of you are coaches. Some of you are trainers. Some of you are on the nutrition staff. Some of you are in compliance. Some of you are in recruiting. A lot of you are in graphics and design. I get information from you guys, and a lot of you I've built up a really good rapport with, and you know you can trust me. I don't ever, I mean, you've watched the show. I get information every day. How often do I ever put it on the show? So the only time I do it is when I'm given permission to. But I've got a really good rapport with several of you, dozens and dozens of you, uh, some of whom I converse with every day, but it's your way of contributing to the show. And you've come to trust me, and for those of you who don't think you can, spoiler alert, you can. If you want to contribute to the show, that's another way to do it. If you've got some information, I, you're not using it or giving it to me so that I can break it on air. If you want me to, I will, or I'll pass it on to whoever you want me to. What I use that for, for instance, when you tell me that a listed starting running back is a problem guy off the field and or he's not getting it done in practice or someone is a little bit hampered or whatever the case may be, a million different things, I'm using it to fine-tune my commentary. I'm using it to fine-tune and make what we say on air more intelligent and more informed. And so I really appreciate that because I can, I'm one person. We don't have a massive staff with this show, so I can't have them all over the country digging for dirt and going through trash cans and feeling out sources left and right. We can't do that. You guys are the sources. We are crowdsourced in every sense of the word. And so, Shane, that's the way it happens most of the time. Is most of the time we got people inside athletic departments that will text me or they'll DM me on Twitter. That's why I leave the DMs open. And they'll say, hey, got something for you. Uh, don't want you to run with it. In this case today, they said, go for it. It's going to be out soon anyway. But that helps, man. That really helps our show. Really helps us a lot. Because there is no better source than a lot of people whose names you'll never recognize, but who have very, very good access to information. And trust that someone like me, at least, is not going to abuse it and turn it into something that gets them in trouble or hampers the university because I would never in a billion years do that. And that you have my scouts honor on, even though I've never been in the Boy Scouts. So I've got to wrap this up here. We had, we had what I felt like was about a two-hour podcast this morning or at night because I'm recording late at night here. And uh, we've only gone like 31 minutes, which is crazy. So tonight on Late Kick Live, I have not made a final decision on which direction we're going with the show. So who knows? Total wild card show could be anything. Strongly advise you tune in. Also, I would greatly appreciate it if you would give us a five-star review on this podcast and if you would share it around and tag me when you do because I'll retweet you. I'll put it in the Instagram story. The marketing, the marketing, the marketing. It is key every time of year, but especially this time of year. Get that name out there and I promise you, you will not regret the kind of product that we're able to produce because of that. So for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Bate. I really hope you guys have a great Thursday. And if you don't have a great Thursday, at least we'll be able to wrap it up good because we got Late Kick Live coming up tonight. So until then, from us to you, have a great rest of your day and God bless.